Welcome to Fishing Lines, from novice to expert, from river to sea. You're in the right place for the biggest stars and the best information on the UK fishing scene. John, welcome. Thank you. How are you, mate? You all right? I am very well, thank you. Um, yeah, absolutely fine. Good. Uh, we, we've had a few trials and tribulations to get here, but we finally managed it. Um, so we've known each other for a little while on Facebook. I think we were kind of mutually introduced by um, by Keith Arthur. And um, for the last, I guess, four years since we've been Facebook friends, I've seen you traveling all over the world and catching massive fish. And I've stalked you on Instagram. And when we said that we were going to do this, I've been really, really interested to talk to you and just... I, I, most anglers that I meet are good at one kind of a thing. So they'll be really good carp anglers or they'll be really good sea anglers. And I would urge anybody who watches this to go and follow you on Instagram because one minute you're catching big trout, then you're catching Xander, and then the next minute you'll pop up in tonga with a gt on the same size as a car and then it'll be a tiger shark and then it do you know and it's just rare for somebody to be just so focused on multi-species and um yeah very very excited about tonight i'm hoping we can get it done in a in a reasonable amount of time because i'm just looking at the photos i've got to talk about and we could be talking for a couple of hours just on the stuff that i've i've pulled off of instagram but for those who who don't know you um, tell us a little bit about your fishing. How do you get into it and what's your background? Well, basically, uh, I started fishing when I was about three years old. Um, my, uh, my real father and uh, my stepfather are both into uh, fishing. So obviously, I was destined <laughs> to become a fisherman one way or another. Um, <clears throat> I, used to, uh, I used to wander across uh, the fields where I used to live up in Oxfordshire. And, uh, you know, we'd, we'd fish the, uh, the rivers for, you know, small stuff, you know, from roach to gudgeon to uh, all sorts of stuff. And then, you know, sort of uh, then after sort of doing my time um, on the rivers, on the windrush, on the Thames, um, you know, along with a few other rivers, <clears throat> you know, I progressed up to sort of chub. Barbel, Pike. Pike was a favourite. Pike was definitely a favourite. My biggest problem was was the biggest, uh, the best uh, pike fishing was a long way off. Yeah. I was still a youngster, um, so I had to cycle everywhere. So more often than not, you know, you would see me cycling first thing in the morning, you know, twenty odd miles away, and then having to come back twenty miles another 20 miles to get back home Jesus. so 40 odd miles you know leaving it sort of sometime ridiculous in the morning like four or five o'clock in the morning often not having any lights on me push bike and then obviously leaving the river again late so again cycling home at night after a day sort of uh pike fishing like you know um how i never got knocked off my bike i've no idea <laughs> Uh, I'm amazed I survived those Oxfordshire roads. I really am. Um, and as with um, <clears throat> as with uh, 
any uh, youngsters. Sometimes some follow a very, very good path, and sometimes some follow a very, very awkward path, let's say. Um, <laughs> and um, due to the awkwardness of the path that I was on, so uh, my, uh, my stepfather decided that we should move to Devon. Okay. Just to get away. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I came down to Devon. I'd come from a coarse fishing background. Um, although I was in a local fishing club that did a bit of sea fishing up in Oxfordshire, and I did do a little bit of sea fishing, I came down to Devon at the age of 16 um, and found myself with no friends uh, and not really knowing what to do. Yeah. Apart from fishing. And fishing, I found, was quite a common interest between quite a lot of the younger younger guys my age group in and around North Devon. And uh, let's say the rest was history because that gave me the foundation in which to um, build off of. Um, and obviously we, st we started sort of small fish fishing or just general fishing. Uh, when, we, when we caught a good fish, we were all totally elated. It was probably more luck than judgment yeah um, but like anything the more you do it the more you learn um and of course the more people you start meeting with who are like-minded so then you start going you know into different disciplines so with a course fishing background now a sea fishing background i met a couple of guys who introduced me into trout fishing and so trout fishing became another one of my disciplines. And then, of course, at a little bit later date, we've now got um, fishing for salmon and sea trout on a couple of our local game rivers. So all of this started to sort of amalgamate and bring me up to where I am now. Okay. So coming forward to today... I, again, I'll, I'll get some of the photos up in a second just to show everyone sort of the, the breadth and depth of what you do. G given any opportunity, if the, if the weather conditions were right, where, where, where are you happiest? Um, <clears throat> I have to say I'm probably happiest with all of them. So, right. you know, I, I cut my cloth to suit. So if it's, if, if it's not good enough for one discipline... Um, you know, I, I, I could I could effectively say, um, well, it would always be in the tropics because it's warm. <laughs> you, you wear shorts and T-shirts and flip-flops and the fish are big and pull hard. Yeah. But to be perfectly ha honestly, honestly with you, um, it doesn't matter to me whether it's a thousand pound or whether it's half a pound. I cut my cloth to suit yeah if the weather's bad for one thing you know um so i'll go go into a different discipline if the weather is bad on my coast then potentially i'll go on another coast to see fish so i adapt and overcome in most situations yeah it's it's i mean it's the sign of a true sort of uh cross-discipline angler the fact that you can wake up look at the weather and think what shall i go and fish today I think all of us have got something in mind where we'd like to go out and you, you, you've got to plan all week and the weather changes. And for whatever reason, you, 
I, I think I'm starting to do it as I'm getting older. When I was younger, I was very, very carp focused. And if if it wasn't carp, there's was not not much chance it's going to be something else. That's not to say I've not fished on the rivers and I've started fly fishing recently, but it's only in the last couple of seasons where I actually look at the conditions and go, well, I can have an hour floater fishing or I can nip to the river and I can do this and I can do this. And I don't know if it's a sign of just getting old and actually realising, thinking about what's biting and going after the things that's um, biting easiest or uh, just maturing as an angler. Don't know. I mean, I, I, I do get quite um, quite excited by uh, being a multidisciplined angler. Do you know what I mean? You know, one minute you're catching, you know, um, grayling in a fast flowing, clear crystal water. Next minute, you know, you could be up in the Bristol Channel uh, in the murky depths of the Bristol Channel catching cod. Um, or being off of the North Devon coast and, and catching, you know, poor beagle sharks out in the boat. And then the next thing, you know, you're, you're jetting off to, you know, to, to go and catch stuff in the tropics. I just love and get really, really excited by the, by the, just the, the variations, you know, um, and also, like I said, you know, fishing, fishing should be fun. Yes. You know? do what you feels best at the time you know yeah. and if i if i if i think to myself well oh i don't want to go out sea fishing because it's not the right time but i do you know i do want to go sort of course fishing or trout fishing or salmon fishing you know i just think it should be fun you should do what you feels right at the time yeah i think a lot more people should follow that advice as well uh, and there's a lot of people as well that think for some reason they should tell people how they should enjoy themselves and you're absolutely right do the thing that makes you happy at the time that it makes you happy absolutely i mean fishing's fishing's for fun yeah you know and if you don't want to go and do it then don't do it you know but if you do want to do it then you should do it like you know and you should be able to do what you want to do opposed to being governed by other people and i think nowadays um people are often pressured into going sometimes um you know uh i i just and and for me for me um if i'm pressured i just don't fish well at all i just yeah. don't unless i'm in competition and then that's a different sort of that's a different sort of pressure you know um but to me with regards to fishing, fishing's often helped me. Um, you know, it's helped me in in difficult times. You know, um, so you know, I've only been too pleased to have fishing in the background then. Um, but like I said, when you don't want to do, when you don't want to be, you know, when you don't want to do it, and you're not in the right place to do it, then I don't think you should do it. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, I've certainly been guilty of it in the past when. You plan a trip for a long time and you know when you're getting ready to leave, you're not quite in the right mood and you turn up That's at the right. venue and you can sit there and you go, I've made the wrong decision tonight. I'm not, as much as I've thought about this trip for as long as you've been planning it, sometimes you can get on the bank and go, I just, I don't want to be here. And wh when you force those trips, they just, they just don't feel right. No, they just don't connect right at all. Um, 
you know, and often, uh, <laughs> and often or not, they they end up in disaster. <laughs> you know, you 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 often find that um, you know uh, that you will end up losing a fish of a lifetime. Um, you uh, you disconnect the rod at the end of a, of the day after having a terrible session and end up stepping on one of the sections. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just you've just got to be in the in the right zone, the right place. And like I say, once you're in the right place uh, and you gel with it then that's when you become successful at catching yeah yeah indeed um i i do want to talk obviously a lot about um the fish that you've caught but i do want to talk i, I want to get this out of the way first because it is a bit of a negative and we talked about it on the phone the other day and it's the state of what's happening in the British seas at the moment. Because I, whilst I'm a long way from the coast and where I live, I see a lot of sea anglers and just pictures on the phone of trawlers that are almost in casting range away from the shore. Um, and it just it, it looks like we're we're not taking care of the waters. And I've seen some of your photos where you've got big trawlers, like super trawlers working up and down and especially through lockup they just seem to have come closer and closer and be even bigger than ever i mean it, it, am i right in thinking it's getting worse or has this been happening for a long time no it's it's actually getting worse i mean uh, you know i fish on a lot of different coasts um and i, I see it firsthand i mean there was one incident where on our local coast we had a trawler probably no no more than about 200 foot off the shore jesus um, and I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. I put a post up on Facebook. Um, and strangely enough, the, uh, the skipper of the trawler contacted me via private message. Wow. And told me it would be worth keeping my nose out of his business. Like, you know. Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, you know, I reacted by laughing and you're saying, well, you know, you shouldn't be coming in this close. The harsh reality is, is they are allowed to come in that close. Really? As long as they're under 30 metres, they're allowed to come in that close. So every time I see something off a chisel, every time uh, one of my fellow friends, one of my fellow anglers uh, reports to me, that um, there's, there's trawlers working with inside, you know, a certain line, as long as they're, they're under 30 metres, they can work that line. Right. The terrible thing about it is, is I think that it's all money related and it's all money orientated. And it's absolutely dis disgusting that our seas are being plundered beyond belief. Absolutely beyond belief. Um, if this carries on the way it's going, then there will, and I don't care how many people laugh or throw jibes at me, there will be no more fish. Yeah. There will be no more fish. I mean, when you've got when you've got some of those super trawlers that come along, uh, come across from Holland and whatnot. Yeah. You know, they can process two hundred and fifty thousand tons a day. You know, it's obscene, you know, and somewhere along the line, we've got to protect, protect our stocks. If we don't protect our stocks, like I say, we will not have anything. We will not have anything at all. And what um, 
often amuses me in a bad way is is that you hear a lot of anglers you hear a lot of anglers moaning about the lack of fish yeah now i know for the amount of time that i've been here in north devon that fish stocks have declined drastically and i do mean drastically but what what amuses me with a lot of anglers is they will moan about the state of our fisheries they will moan about how much they're spending on on bait for very little return um yet they're not prepared to unify and fight for this now one of the best ways i can see to fight this would be to join an organization such as the angling trust you know get behind the angling trust you know and hopefully as a as a as you know you 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 have strength in unity and mm. that is the only way we're going to be able to fight this i know that um hugh fernley wittenstall he's tried to uh try to make us aware of how you know fish stocks are declining i know nigel farage he's tried to make everybody aware of it now you have two prominent people there that haven't been able to do anything really yeah. apart from make us aware so we need to try and unify in order to fight against this otherwise our children okay our children may have fish for a while but i think our grandchildren i i, I think by the time our grandchildren you know sort of get up to sort of like the likes of my age i don't think there'll be any you know or very little fish available for us to catch um, are you sad? And I don't really want to get onto the, the politics of this because um, it's always a touchy subject with people. Um, but <laughs> once we come out of the EU, do you see that alleviating the problem at all? Or is the problem with our fleets as much as any other? No, I don't see it's going to alleviate it because I think that uh, Brussels will um, somehow they'll they'll do a backhanded deal um, in order to <clears throat> still retain fishing in our in our waters um and i and i do feel sorry for our fleet you know because our fleet should be allowed to fish their own waters you know um i mean at the moment we've got a we've we have a massive massive head of bluefin tuna in our waters you know quite often or not the rest of europe seem to be able to come across and plunder our waters of tuna of which I've seen firsthand, I've actually been out there and I've seen these foreign trawlers scooping up bluefin tuna. Yeah. Whether it's part of a bycatch or not, those tuna, they never went back. You know, we were close enough to the trawlers to be able to see whether those tuna were thrown back and they weren't, you know. So with regards to our fleet, you know, I do actually feel sorry for them in, in, to some extent that, you know, their hands are, you know, their hands are fairly tied because they're not alone fishing our waters. You know, they're subject to these massive super trawlers. I think during lockdown, um, and I could be wrong here, but I think and I believe that there was four of these super trawlers um, working throughout the lockdown period well that's that's a ridiculous amount of fish that they can process a day between the four of them it's like uh well you do the maths 
250,000 tonnes a day each. Well, that's a million tonnes. Exactly. Can our water sustain that? No. No. You know, it just cannot sustain it, you know? And it's going back to the bluefin tuna thing, because I do want to talk about bluefin tuna, because I know you've caught a couple, and I do want to talk about that. <laughs> Where this becomes ridiculously unfair is that we're not even allowed to pursue them as recreational anglers. So these fish have started coming back to our waters. We can't go out even on a pleasure boat and target them, catch and release, look after them, you know, put them at the side of the boat, get water through the gills, make sure they go back okay. We're not allowed to do that unless it's on a specific boat with, you know, scientific um, data being harvested from it. Yet other boats can come into our waters, net them, and harvest them. And how's how's that fair? How is it fair that we can't even go out on a recreational basis and fish for them, but they can harvest them in our waters? It, it isn't fair, and it's not fair at all. But, um, you know, there, there, are, there are guys um, within a club I belong to called the SCBI. Um, there are a few guys, uh, uh, Dave West, Steve Murphy, um, Andy Mansfield, <laughs> Uh, to name but a few, and they're all fighting. Um, they're fighting the government to 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 get a quota um, for us to to fish for bluefin tuna on a catch and release basis. Yeah. Um, and 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 they're doing it with great success. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of red tape in the way. I don't put, pretend to understand all of it, um, which is why. You know, uh, I think they're doing an absolutely super job. And as I said, I don't pretend to understand the, all the red tape and all the ins and outs of it. But, you know, the tuna, the bluefin tuna have been getting progressively stronger and stronger in numbers around our coastline. You know, not just a certain part of our coastline, but almost to the extent that they're almost all the way around the British Isles now. Mm. They're massive numbers. And like I say, with with regards to having a sustainable fishery for ourselves, how many jobs would that create? Absolutely. You know, how many, how many captains, how many guest houses, you know, it it it's just endless. Yeah. So why we have to fight to get a sustainable fishery for something that's in our waters is totally beyond me. And why we're not um uh finding these these uh, these you know uh boats from overseas that are coming into our waters um you know for for you know doing what they're doing is is totally beyond me but the problem is is they have got a quota these european boats have got quotas they have got bluefin quotas so they can come across and they can catch them. And it's like I'm led to believe at the moment that there are a couple of Japanese vessels that have sailed um, for, I think it was, I think somebody said to me it was nearly two months. They've sailed from Japan to fish the Irish waters. Yeah, I've seen that too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just ridiculous. And yet we can't, you know, we're, I think the guys are into, 
about I think it's something like about two years, two and a half years of fighting to try and get a sustain, sustainable catch and release fishery. Well, think of all that money that everybody's lost, you know, all of the captains, all of the deckhands, all of the guest houses, the hotels, um, you know, imagine that the extra economy that this would cause to some of these little villages and whatnot, like, you know? Yeah. So. I think now, really, it's about time we had a sustainable fishery. I really do. No more red tape. I think no more politics, because in my mind, it, 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 well, it, it's not doing anybody any favours at all. No. Uh, well, it, if you look at travelling anglers who leave the UK every single year to go and catch massive fish elsewhere because our, our fishing's good let's face it we've got a diverse fishery but there's nothing in our waters that you hook into that can pull you over the side of the boat and then carry on going and tuna are one of those fish that will go on epically long runs and the fact that we've now got them visiting our waters people would stop traveling overseas well nobody can travel at the moment anyway but people would start to come into our shores to fish for them because they're growing to a ridiculous size and you know people want to catch them so i don't think that can be understated and, and a lot of people might look and go well fishing what what money is that going to bring into the local economy but thousands of anglers travel every single year in and out of the country to go on fishing expeditions and it's not cheap fishing this isn't uh, you know, a couple of pounds worth of maggots and a, a little bit of line. This is high-tech fishing with very, very talented skippers fishing for some of the most exotic fish on the planet. So the money it would bring in, it's got to be into the millions. And I'm sure the guys who are doing the work, the um, the the tuna guys that you talked about on uh, on Facebook, have done that kind of cost analysis, and they, they must have looked at how much money it's going to generate. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, it, it's to, to start off with, to, you know, to to uh, to fit the boat out for starters, yeah. you know, generates the the, uh, the money with the uh, with the with the tackle companies. Yeah. You know, there's um, you know, the, the, you know, you're paying for the experience of the skippers. And as I say, the list just goes on and on and on. I mean, I know as well as you do how much some of these trips cost to go overseas. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, but, you know, the thing is with our waters at the moment, it's not just the fact that we've got tuna. I mean, we have got several, you know, really good um, leviathans of the deep, you know. I mean, we've got uh we've got poor beagle sharks we've got blue sharks we've got the occasional mako you know we've we've got six skilled sharks we've got huge common skates um we've got the tuna which grow up to you know as you say ridiculous sizes i've personally seen bluefin tuna coming up to the surface that i would have estimated to have been you know at least a thousand pound you know in weight i mean you pay big 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 money to you know jump on a plane and then there's then there's your accommodation then there's booking your skipper in advance you know and and you're doing all of this you're spending that money 
for probably, I don't know, sometimes you, you, most anglers are extremely lucky if they get one day afloat overseas. You know, there's a couple of us that might get two or three and you know your bank balance drastically goes down then. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're losing, I think potentially, we are losing out on a lot of money just by putting these couple of bits of red tape in the way. Yeah. And it, it's nonsensical. It just, the, the stocks are there. Everyone else has access to them. We're not actually asking to harvest them. You know, the last thing on my mind would be uh, if I had my own private boat, what's the point in trying to harvest a three or four hundred pound fish? It just it, uh, If I go sea fishing and I catch a snapper or something small and it'll feed the family, I'll take it. Anything bigger, I put back. I've got I've got no interest in harvesting it. And I'm sure everybody's the same in England that you just want to catch these things. I saw um Have you ever seen um, the fish locker on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. So, so he caught two, I'm sure, completely by accident. I'm sure he wasn't out fishing for them whatsoever. But just in a little, I think he's got a 17 or 18-foot boat. He was on his own, and he caught two and fought them magnificently and got photos. And what a complete red-letter day for an angler fishing on their own out of their own boat in, in a relative, you know, 17 or 18-foot boat. That's just... No, it's, a, it's a massive achievement. A massive achievement, but um, the, the the problem is, though <clears throat> though not intentionally fishing for them, um, he could potentially have uh, you know uh, come under investigation. Yeah, you know, just for accidentally hooking them. Um, you know, but the thing is, I think I think a lot of our fishermen are being are being exceptionally patient, being exceptionally patient. Yeah. Because you know you have this, you know you have this this wonderful fish in our waters um, that you're not allowed to fish for. Now people will wait, you know, and they'll they'll wait for a certain amount of time for the law to change. But in the end, if that law doesn't change, you know, soon, then I just feel as though it's going to drive it underground. Yeah. You know? There will be people going out intentionally targeting them. And why not? Because they are in our waters. You know, you could say, well, it's against the law to, to fish for them. And that's why not. But, you know, I mean, blimey. You've just got a, such a wonderful thing uh, in our waters. And who knows? They might not be there next year. Yeah. So all of this fighting, yeah. migration patterns, change of currents, yeah. might take them back off again, offshore. Who knows? They were here, you know, they were here, you know, in the early 1900s, off of Whitby and whatnot. Um, and then after a few years, they disappeared. Yeah. Until I think it was somewhere around about the somewhere around about the 80s that people like adrian malloy started catching them off of the west coast of ireland yeah you know, so you know you can't you can't tell how long those fish are going to be here and in here and at the moment we've got other other people from you know other countries plundering our stocks while we're expected to sit on our hands yeah and as i said who knows by the time all this red tape's been cut through and the rules and regulations amend it, 
those fish might might just disappear. Yeah. Same as the cod did off of the North Devon coast. We used to have a prolific fishery for cod. And one day they just disappeared. Just one winter, just gone. Yeah. Well, hopefully they um, they see sense and they give us the ability to fish for them before they, if they do disappear, because that would be a crying shame um, to have them visiting us and, and not take advantage of it. Um, and some of the footage that you see from around the south coast and Wales and Ireland, it's, it's not one or two fish. It's hundreds of fish busting and smashing other fish up. And it's just, yeah, how, how can we not take advantage of that? If I lived on the coast and I had on a boat. Um, I just, I, I just to, to me, you know, by the time, you know, by the time, I worked. I worked with Andrew Olsop and um, and uh, fisheries scientists last year on on you know the tagging project, and oh my God, if you'd have saw the echo sounder, you know, and it was lit up underneath the boat, with you know, I mean, most of the shoal of the of the ones that we actually landed for the scientists to tag. Um, Every one was around about three, uh, sorry, was around about 500 pounds. I mean, that's monsters. And there weren't just one or two. The sounder was full up with just, you know, big tuna everywhere. That's just ridiculous. Whereabouts so was that? Be such a shame not to take advantage of it. You know, it really would. That, that was Ireland, wasn't it? No, that was Wales. Right. Okay. That was that was Wales last year. Uh, we were working. Um, Andrew Olsop invited me out uh, to work alongside um, two English scientists and one from over in the states. Okay. And what was the class tackle you were using for that? Uh, we were using eighty-pound class tackle. Yeah. Um, and we were asked by the scientists to try and get. The blue fins in as quick as quick as possible to um, to minimise stress. Yeah. Uh, and unbeknown to me, I didn't know that we were in a bit of a race. But apparently, uh, we were in a bit of a race uh, between me and Andrew. And my fastest was, uh, I think it was about twenty two minutes to That's bring good. a five hundred pounder in. That's good. Uh, and Andrew's was twelve minutes. Wow, <laughs> Jesus. So I, I've got to try and get him back at some stage. <laughs> Jesus. God, you must have been putting it to them. Were you, were, you yeah. stra- were you strapped in or stood up? No, stood up. We were, we were stood up, but I mean, um, contrary to belief, with a lot of these big fish, it's, it's, um, it's all to do with the technique opposed to brute strength and ignorance. Mm. Um. And funnily enough, I ended up actually um, cracking my elbow. I actually smashed uh, a shard of bone in my elbow um, fighting one of those fish. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) For for anybody who says that fishing is a relaxing sport. (laughs) Yeah, certainly not. I had this... uh, this little shard of bone floating around inside my elbow for quite some time. Jesus. I was supposed to go out there myself. I was supposed to go and fish on um, Kiwi Girl. 
out of one of the bays at the um, the back end of Ireland. And um, we were all booked up to go. And the airline was starting to make some noises about, well, if you go, we might not be able to get you back. It was it was during the stage where they were just starting to lift lockdown. And they, the, the tuna had come in. I was watching on Facebook. He'd got space. We booked the boat. And then I just thought, I don't want to go out there and, and get stuck because that would be the worst of all worlds. So I missed my opportunity there. And I, I watched for the next few days as he just landed fish after fish. But it's such, a, it's, such a, it's such a shame because, you know, <clears throat> my first experience um, with, uh, with bluefin tuna um, was out, out from Ireland. Um, and there'd been talk between myself and uh, a gentleman called Paddy Keel. And Paddy said to me, he said, well, you know, I'd like you to come over and I'd like you to fish with us for some bluefin tuna. Like, you know, um, and it was, you know, I'm, I'm led to believe that, uh, you know, you could actually fish for bluefin tuna um, off of off of the Irish coast. Um, so we were we were talking to one another and this went on for some time. And you know how it is. You 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 continually talking, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, until you get to the point that you don't think it's going to happen. So there I was. I made my mind up to go freshwater fishing on this particular weekend. So I drove the three hundred and fifty odd miles to go freshwater fishing. I was just uh, I'd had a very hectic night with bites. And then I get a phone call first thing in the morning, no sleep. John, John, you need to come over to Ireland now. <laughs> oh my God. I had to pack up all my, all my freshwater tackle. I had to drive the 350 miles back home. I had to get the wife to book me a flight en route. Okay. I went all the way back home, changed clothes, turned round again, drove another. 90 odd miles back to Bristol Airport, got to check him only to find out that they booked me the following week. Oh, so I said to them, I said, Look, I've got to get out there, I've got to get out there, doesn't matter what happens. And they said, Well, it can't be that important. <laughs> and I said, Now, I do not like people who tell porkies, I don't like people that tell lies. But I did have to initiate, I did have to use a little white line. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, well, it is important. I said, because I've got a television crew waiting out on the boat. So it's very important that I get out there. So, um, you know, uh, they then proceeded to charge me another £240. Oh, which I'd already paid 240 quid anyhow. So it cost me nearly 500 quid to fly over to Ireland. I landed in Ireland. I had a very quick dash with Paddy for three hours from Dublin down to Kinsale. Yeah. I'd had no sleep at all. Only to get down there and the Irish tradition have a couple of pints of Guinness. So <laughs> have a couple of pints of Guinness. Get on the boat. Three parts to the wind. Yeah. And then we jumped on the boat and we went 
10 hours out to sea. Jesus. As in straight line out to sea for we 10 were, hours. Well, we were, we were kind of, I think we were kind of sort of more in our waters than what we were in Irish waters. <laughs> I can see my house from here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So though we were we were sort of legally allowed to fish for, for tuna, I, I have a feeling that we were a lot closer to England uh, than what we were Ireland. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was my first experience. And my very first fish um, was six hundred and twelve pounds, and then and then a few hours later, I had one seven hundred and forty. Jesus, and I mean that just. Uh, th- there's no amount of effort and no amount of money that can account for that. If you, if you, if somebody said to you, "This is the end result," you travel around the world and pay God knows how many thousand pounds for it. Do you know what I mean? And to have, and, and to have that on our shores. And I know it was the day from hell. And I know it cost you five hundred quid, but five hundred <laughs> quid to, in the grand scheme of things, that wouldn't even pay for a half day out of Key West. No, of course it wouldn't. You know, I mean, and this is this is the thing. You know, when I'm talking to people, I I try and um, I try and emphasise, you know, what fishing we've got here. You know, and in the grand scheme of things, how much or how little it costs in comparison to going overseas and catching effectively the same fish. Yeah, I mean, one of the scientists, one of the scientists. Um, the uh, the one that was from America said that he'd never seen a fishery like it. He'd certainly never seen, you know, sort of uh, the, the 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 average sized fish out in the Celtic deeps was obscene. You know, it was certainly. Um, I think um, I, I I can't remember now. Um, it was a place off of Alaska that he was he was talking about. And he said the, the 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 average size of the fish in the Celtic deeps was considerably larger, you know, uh, than than you know out off of this place in Alaska, which is obscene to have yeah. that sort of size fish swimming around our, our coast. One of my friends was was fishing for for flatfish and gurnards and so on and so forth off a off a chisel, few uh, few months back probably not even a few months back, maybe just over a month back. Not more than about 150 foot off the shore. A 200 pound bluefin jumped. I mean, this is, like I say, it's just incredible. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, I say, I feel privileged that I've caught what I've caught. Yeah. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, this should be open to everybody. You know, this should be whoever wants to go and have a go should be able to go and have a go and they should be able to have a go legally. Yeah, indeed. And as you say, you start thinking about fleets of decked out centre consoles with big outboards that could get you out to them fast with all of the right tackle. And you're starting to think about a proper sport fishing, uh, sustainable fishery for us. And it's, Mm. it's not even a pipe dream. It's just some red tape we've got to sort out. It's a no-brainer, you know. This it just needs to be sorted out ASAP, you know. And the the, the guys that are heading this 
are doing an absolutely fantastic job you know like i say i don't pretend to understand the politics and the ins and outs of it you know they're very clever guys and uh you know they they're, they're doing an absolute uh, sterling job do you know what i mean so what i'll do um when we wrap up and, and when i put this up on youtube i'll put links to all of the guys that are doing work on this on behalf of British anglers in the description and then people can follow them and if there's any support they can give and I presume that there's going to be things like um, uh, what is it bloody called where you put a signature into the government what's the word I'm looking for uh... <laughs> I forgot the word um, when you go and collect a load of signatures and send it in What's a petition. The, a petition. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> you know, the more people sign up to these things, the more chance we've got of getting them heard. So I'll put links in the description down below and people can go and follow them and, and find out the good I work mean, they're doing. I, I think, you know, so many times I hear of um, people saying to me, um, they might see a petition on Facebook and they, and they say, the petitions are a waste of time. So many times. You know, it's a bit like um, uh, when they catch a fish, you know, they'll say, they'll say, you know, <clears throat> I'm not going to throw that back. And I say, well, you know, how many fish can you eat? Throw them back. Ah, if I throw them back, the trawler will only get them. So, you know, <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is, is with regards to a petition, you know, if people don't account for themselves, you know, if they, if they don't if they don't sign the petition, then nobody's aware of numbers. And if yeah. nobody's aware of numbers, then nobody is aware of the strength. The more people that sign, the more strength we have, the more leverage we have. You know, but as I said, I'll emphasize it. You know, I'll, I'll reiterate what I what I you know said originally. Join in something like the Anglin Trust. You know would definitely be the way forward petitions angling trust you've got professional guys there that can fight our corner you know just do it yeah agreed agreed um let's move on a little bit else we're going to talk about bluefin for the next couple of hours and i could to be honest with you the thought of them swimming around just excites me that much that the only fish i've ever caught are black fins and they go to sort of 30 40 pounds at most so that the thought of bluefin swimming around it just um, yeah but 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 black fins are they're good fun yeah they are good fun on the right tackle and they're tasty yes absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. It's uh, it's a rare privilege being able to just pull one of those out and um, as you fill it in it, just have a little bit of sashimi. They are um, oh. they are delicious. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. On light tackle, they're just absolutely... To be fair, I like catching bonito. Um, yeah. I, people rag on them and say that they're, you know, just trash fish. But if I can have an afternoon catching bonito, ripping the drag on a lightweight outfit, that's good fun for me. Absolutely. And as I said to you just, you know, earlier on, you know, fishing should be for fun. It should be fun. Yeah. You know, you should do what you feel like doing. And and if and if, you know, catching a, a bonito on a spinning rod's good, catch one on a spinning rod. If fly fishing for bonito is your thing mm. and it makes you happy, that's what you should do. You know, the emphasis is always nowadays it's not big enough. Yeah. Well, what what you know where did it say in fishing years ago that 
everything had to come in XXL. Yeah. You know, it, it didn't. Fishing should be fun. And like I say, if you're catching that bonito on a fly reel, on a spinning reel, light tackle, man, what a fight. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're, um, um, oh, Blemenek, what is, uh, kite fishing for bonito, skipping a bait. Oh, man, it's explosive. Yeah. You know, what a thrill. What a hoot. It's amazing. Yeah, indeed. So, closer to home, I'm going to show you a photo now. Um, so, hopefully, you should, oh, yeah. look, you should be looking at you with a big smile on your face, sat next to a very large skate. And this is the other species that I, I've hung my nose over for a long time. So, what's the story behind that photo? Well, that, that, that photo there, I was actually invited uh, up to... Uh, to, to fish with a guy called Phil Riley on uh, on Kevin Mackay's boat size matters um, up in Scotland um, and that particular fish there uh, strangely enough although we were fishing for common skate um, I'd actually decided to put a light tackle down for blackmouth dogfish <laughs> yeah um, now now the law of averages says <laughs> if you're using three big baits with three big rods, yeah, one little rod with a little bait, that the big fish is going to come in on the little <laughs> rod. Um, and everybody on the boat said to me, Well, you know what's going to happen, John? You know, and I said, Well, yeah, I do know what's going to happen. And Dave Lewis, you know, angling journalist, yeah, um, said to me. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. And I was standing there having a laugh, having a giggle, like, and all of a sudden I just felt this plunk. Now, I'll tell you, I was on 20 pound line, 20 pound class outfit, and we were in 550 foot of water. Lovely. <laughs> and to say it was a, the Battle Royale is an understatement. Now, they were all taking bets on me. <laughs> as, as mates would do <laughs> <laughs> and they were all saying that I wouldn't land it and uh, through a little bit of experience and a little bit of luck yeah. Um, not to mention that they were trying to put me off by using the live video feed <laughs> and taking the mic yeah. I eventually after about half an hour got this thing up and it weighed 201 pounds. Jesus Christ. And at the time, had, had there still been a European um, record, I would have absolutely obliterated the European record, uh, the European line class record, which was, um, I think, from memory, I would have beaten it by about 102 pounds. So why is there, why is there no... Uh, record for it because it's because it's now it's now classified as protected okay right so there, there's no records for protected species yeah got you yeah but it was uh it was it was quite an exciting uh <laughs> on 20 pound class i bet bloody hell how long did it take about half an hour oh, that's not bad um that was the first fight 
Right. Because the the the, the deckhand um, passed the leader. Yeah. Around the rod, around one of the rods to to the skipper, who didn't quite grab hold of the line, <laughs> the line sort of pinged out of his hand, in which the skate saw its opportunity to dive all the way back to the no. So I had to fight it all over again. <laughs> Lovely. I bet you didn't swear at all. No, not at all. <laughs> but, the, but the one thing that uh, that uh, was funny was um, was because we'd had a, a a very long drive. I mean, to be exact, from my house up to there, it was about six hundred miles. Yeah. Um, by the time we got up there, uh, we were sort of like uh, we had a few drinks, then we had a few more drinks, <laughs> then we had a few more, and before I knew it. I think I went to bed about an hour before I had to get up. Oh. So a very hungover walk down to the boat and then, of course, having a fight that. Lovely. <laughs> so for anybody wanting to travel up, because it is a trek, but I say it's a trek, but again, if you're going on a fishing holiday, you think about the amount of effort to take you and your tackle from one place to another and then the amount of money at the other end. You're, okay, you're driving to Scotland and it's a long drive, but it's half a day, three quarters of a day to do it. So it's it's not that out of the way. But realistically, for the travelling angler, what's the chances of getting attached to one of those? There's every chance. And, and, you know, I mean, if, if you went up to Scotland, I would say that, if, you know, over, over a, say, a, a three-day three trip with, a, with several of you, then I would say, you know, you've got a good chance of probably landing a couple of fish a day. Wow. Um, you know, I mean, the most, the most that I've landed personally in one day was 11. That was Jesus. me myself. Now, when I when I first the first ever trip I ever done uh, was up with Ron, Ronnie Campbell, and we picked three days um, with Ronnie. Um, and as I say I, I we had a couple on one day, and then he'd accidentally double booked us, and because he double booked us, we ended up going out with a guy called Donald McLean on MV Cheviot. And I'll never forget it because, oh, my God, as soon as we dropped down, there were fish showing everywhere. We were pulling up skate left, right and centre. We, we, we had little rods down, fighting, uh, no, fishing for, uh, for blackmouth dogfish, um, spur dogs and thornback rays. And we were even catching skates on the little rods. And when I say little rods, and back then it was like, you know, sort of 50-pound class. Like, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, there was just so many fish coming in. It was just ridiculous. And I think uh, on that particular day, I think we landed 17 common skate Jesus. in one day. I bet you were wrecked by the end of the day. Yeah. My arms were dropping off. I, I, you know, I mean, I was young. I was fit. Um, but my arms were dropping off. Yeah, you know, it was it was ridiculous. I still, at my age now, I cannot believe that I actually went through that pain and enjoyment of catching so many in one day. Um, it was, and and the thing is, is that 
you know, I sort of, you know, I've still got pictures of, of those skate from all those years ago. I mean, we're talking probably 30 years ago now. Right. You know, 20, 25, 30 years ago, something like that, you know, um, when there was virtually hardly anybody, you know, doing it. And I think at the time, Ronnie Campbell was about the only skipper up there. Right. At that time, you know. Are they still there in numbers today? Yeah, I would say so. I would, I would say they were, there was probably more of them and, than, you know, ever before. I mean, at some stage, my next, next project is to catch one off the shore. Now, I have been up there twice to catch one off the shore um, and haven't managed to do it. Uh, plenty of friends of mine have caught them off the shore. Um, up to 225 pounds. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm I'm getting on a little bit now. Do I really want to fight with something that big from the shore? Um, and the answer is yes. No. <laughs> I really want to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I know what you're saying. How, yes, how, can, yeah. how, how can you not do it? As as long as you're in good health. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep ticking the boxes. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's one of those, and isn't it? It's a no, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah. I mean, there appears to be lots and lots and lots of fish up there. There really does. You know. I mean, they are protected. They are they are tagged. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there will probably be somebody that says no. There's not many fish up there. But I'm only going by the anglers' reports, you know, the boat anglers' reports, the shore anglers' reports, and there certainly seems to be a really, really good chance of catching from the boat or the shore, you know. Mm. But I think from the shore, it's um, it's a case of being responsible, mm. you know. You catching those fish from the shore, um, and you know, you have got to effectively bring them up, in most cases, up the cliff face, the underwater cliff face. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, one of the one of the areas that we fished, um, I think from the time of casting in to actually the bait landing on the seabed was three minutes. Okay. You know? So, you know, it's about, I think if you're going to target him from the shore, and like I said, I've never caught one from the shore, but I think it's just about being responsible and using, you know, the correct tackle. Um, and if, and if you, you know, if you, if you do happen for some unknown reason to, to snap off, then, you know, it's using a rig that those fish aren't going to trail around with them all the time. Yeah. They like carp fishing. You know, if a carp, if a carp breaks you off in the weed, you know, usually it can ditch the, the, the hook and whatnot within a, you know, a very short time. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. I see some of the skippers when they're fishing for Goliaths using like um, a thousand pound wire and absolutely massive hooks because the first thing a Goliath will do, as you know, is they just smash straight back down into structure. But I look at the way that sometimes they're being angled for, and I just think it's irresponsible because you're not giving a chance to the fish 
to be able to shed the hook or break the line. Whenever I fish for them, I've, I've fished with 400 pound nylon because I think that size of fish against structure, it's going to break it off in no amount of time at all. Um, but I think, I don't I mean, that sounds super crude as it is 400 pound nylon. She's just <laughs> for any normal day, that's just a ridiculous thing to say. But for those fish, as you know, they're just, they're stupid animals. But you see now some of the rigs that the Americans are using and they're just, they're not thinking of the fish. They're thinking, I'm going to haul this thing out. And if it breaks, well, tough luck on the fish. And I can't, my brain doesn't think like that. There's, uh, there's, yeah, I mean, the, you know, that particular fish, you know, is a whole world of pain anyhow. <laughs> and that's you know, I mean, you've, you've got to, you've, you've got to be daft to want to fish for one of them in the first place. But, you know, I mean, you know, you've got to, you've got to look after these fish. You yeah. know, you really have got to look after these fish, and you've got to use the appropriate tackle. You know. Um, I mean, after all, that fish was perfectly all right before you hooked it. Mm. So you've got to look after it. You know, yeah. if you want to see, you know, your returns in years to come, you know, say stay high, then you've got to fish responsibly. You know, and, <clears throat> you know, if that means, you know, sort of fishing with um, big barbless hooks, then so be it. And, yeah. you know, if it means fishing with, you know, um, I hate to say it, but you mentioned four hundred pound line. When I when I fish for them, you know, I don't want them getting off. Yes, you know, I really don't want them getting off. And I just say I'll, I'll touch wood right next to me, um, and I've never had one come off. But I generally, I use seven hundred pound line. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, quite simply. We've had a few surprises come along when we fish for Goliaths. That's yeah. why, you know. Um, like I say, you, you, you know, you, I, I remember, I remember <clears throat> fishing uh, down in the down in the Keys, and we were we were uh, slow trolling around a wreck, and this, <clears throat> and I was I was saying to my friend and captain at the time, I said so. How do I know when one of these fish bites? And he said to me, he said, oh, you'll know. You will know. <laughs> he said, but the first thing you've got to do is when the fish bites is you've got to lean forward a bit. I said, why do I have to lean forward? He said, to allow the circle hook to go well into the mouth. And then you've got to sit back quick. And then I'm going to accelerate at a rate of knots. Okay. I said, well, hang on a minute. I said, surely, if you're accelerating at a rate of knots one way and the fish is accelerating at a rate of knots the other way, and before I could finish saying what I, uh, I said, he said, you are the weakest link. <laughs> you need to stay in that chair, you know? And we we went on to catch a 500-pound Goliath that day. Yeah, they're, they're an insane fish. I Out of everything I've ever caught, if I could put all of my mates onto one of those fish just to see, well, people just get dragged about like there's a poltergeist at the end of the road, just <laughs> just throwing people around. They, they've not got much fight in them, but that first 10 minutes is insane. It's literally like hooking into a truck. I, 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 I would say it's, um, it's brutal. 
Yes. Absolutely brutal. Yeah. And if, and if I, um, if, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that any of my mates that, you know, deserved a little bit of stick <laughs> for having done something to me in the past, yeah, I'm sure I'd put them first on a Goliath, a big one. <laughs> I, I, another time I can remember that um, we, uh, we went and I had my two sons with me and we were fishing on my friend uh, Nick Stanzik's boat again out from uh, Bud and Mary's. Yeah. And uh, Nick said to us, he said, do you, do you know, do you want to go and get some food fish? You know, like some snappers or something like that. I said, yeah, yeah. OK. So, you know, he sort of looked at me and he said, uh, right, how do you fancy going for Gol a Goliath grouper? while we're fishing where we're fishing and let the kids grab the grab the snapper and the, the rainbow runners and whatnot. Yeah. Know? I said, yeah, okay then. He proceeded to bring out one trace, but two eighty pound class and rods. And both of those rods were clipped to that one <laughs> trice. And I'm like, what are we going after? <laughs> he said the Goliath down here is big. <laughs> it's really big. And they reckon that the Goliath was close to a thousand pounds. Jesus. A thousand pounds. And there were divers going down to see this thing. This is how they knew it was so big. How are you expected me to fish two rods and reels at the same time? I've no idea. <laughs> But, so you, you weren't yeah. doing it in tandem? You weren't sort of joined up both? He expected you to do it on your own? No, he probably would have expected one of my sons to... <laughs> okay. Uh, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was quite funny at the time, like, you know, when he suddenly... I thought, Christ, how big a fish are we going after? They're just... They're mental. Let me um let me show you um another picture because I'm I'm gonna guess that is this Nick's boat as well? Yeah, that was Nick's boat. That was right. definitely Nick's boat. So what that's that's a big fish. That's a scary looking brute of a fish. The uh the picture <clears throat> the picture actually doesn't do it the 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 justice it deserves. This um this is actually one of three one thousand pound tiger sharks that I've that I've landed. Um, <clears throat> now I used to be heavily into uh, deep dropping for swordfish. Yeah. And during um, during our time back home, I got talking to Nick, saying that I'd spent a lot of times over in the Bahamas, and I'd seen quite a few tiger sharks. And I'd always fancied catching a giant tiger. Um, and he said to me, he said, well, if you're going to go after a giant tiger, he said, you really need to, to come over in April time. Okay. To come over in April time, he said, because that's when the amberjacks group together and they come to spawn. Yeah. So we made a date for the following April. And we came over and we got tackled up. And between me and Nick, we, we uh, sort of kind of cobbled up what we needed, you know, to sort of fish and how to fish and so on and so forth. And I'll never forget it because all the way through that day, 
Not one bite. Not one bite did we have. And he said to me, he said, uh, John, I, I'm guessing that this just isn't our lucky day. Right at the last minute, Matt, Nick's deckhand, said, oh, well, we might as well wind up like, you know. And he said, Nick, are we close to the, are we close to the underwater sea mountain? And Nick said, no, it's about half a mile away. He said, well, we're snagged. And I grabbed <laughs> the rod and I said, but we can't be snagged. And this thing had just come along and just eaten the bait and was swimming with us. Gave no bite indication or anything. My God, when I, when I set the hook, it certainly gave every indication <laughs> it was on the end. And that... <clears throat> I think from memory that that first fish was uh, the first one I had was about uh, 600 pounds. Uh, um, beautiful, beautiful fish. Yeah. Uh, the, the markings on it was astonishing. Yeah. And that's why I like tiger sharks so much. Not only are they alpha predators, they are absolutely beautiful in their markings. You know, Um and then I say, I think a, a few days later, I went back out again and I had a couple of 500 pounders. Um, and then I was kind of, I was kind of hooked, you know, I needed that big one. I yeah. needed that giant. And like I said, uh, fortunately for me, I've now caught three over a thousand pound. Um, one of the one of the trips that we did, uh, which was my first ever thousand pounder, I was on an, on Nick's boat with um, with a friend of mine who now unfortunately is deceased. Um, because he was my guest, I, I said to him that he could have first bite. He hooked up with a six hundred pound fish. Just as I was winding in my other line, I had a thousand pound fish grab the bait. The bait was 60 pounds. The bait was 60 Jeez pounds in weight. Christ. It took, it took the bait in one gulp. So we were fighting a 600 pound tiger, one side of the boat, and a thousand pound tiger, the other side of the boat. And I had to dump the reel, as in open the spool up, and just dump a load of line so that the big tiger could swim away from the smaller one. Yeah. We managed to get the smaller one in first. But by the time I actually got on to the big tiger, it was virtually half a mile away. <laughs> that was an awful lot of winding. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, that's, do you know what? That That's karma though. That's good karma. You did the right thing. You allowed somebody to get potentially the fish of the dreams and you were rewarded for it. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, I just think that, you know, sometimes it's not all about competition. No. You know, and I think, you know, it, it's like I get as much enjoyment now out of other people catching big fish. You know, I'm I'm quite happy to take a bit of a back seat. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd sooner like my kids if they catch big fish. You know, um, I mean Jack had that really big Xander a couple of weeks ago. You know, I was uh, I was elated for him, 
uh, 30 years ago, I would have been a green-eyed monster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was absolutely elated. And I, and I do, you know, I, I, you know, I, I do. I, I get just as much enjoyment from watching somebody else catch a big fish, um, you know, especially a newcomer or yeah. especially a child, you know, um, it just makes you feel good. Do you yeah. know what I mean? The, <clears throat> the only, the only, the only bit I don't like about it is, uh, is, is, you know, sort of people catching being big fish and then being arrogant about it. Yeah. 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 I know what you're saying. Um, uh, a, a fish is a fish. It's not okay. It's a trophy. Um, and it's, it's right to be pleased of it. It's right to get the picture. And if you've been pursuing a big fish for a long time, you should be proud of it. But there is, there's a line in the sand where that uh, being pleased for yourself turns into arrogance and somehow people judge judge themselves to be better because they've caught a big fish and Jesus Christ, you've caught a fish. It, it doesn't separate you from any other angler. You should be able to sit on the bank and be happy for your fellow angler and then be happy for you. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you know, there was a, there was a, um, there was a, a challenge fishing picture thing yeah, yeah. on Facebook. Uh, you know, I think it, the first one came up with, few months ago and you know i i really didn't want to take part because i just thought that um and i'm trying to think of how to say this nicely um i um i i'm probably going to get told off <laughs> saying this but i class it as being a sort of a dick measuring contest do you know what i mean it's um you know you might have to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. We, I, 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 know, I know what you mean. I know, and, and you're I right. Go on. I don't like arrogance with, you know, whereas, whereas this latest challenge, you know, I saw that as a bit of fun. Mm. Um, there was a few, a few mates of, you know, you know, sort of uh, saying, go on, go on, put yours up. And I'm like, no, you know, because as far as I'm concerned, I don't need to put them up. I know what I've caught, like, you know, uh, but I had several private messages and they're going, oh, go on, John. And I thought, oh, all right. <laughs> and like, so I, I put them up and I noticed one of, one of my mates put up sort of another five pictures. So I thought, oh, well, I'll put another five <laughs> up as well. But to me, as long as it stays light-hearted then that's that's you know that's what it's all about it should be light-hearted and it should be fun you know there's no arrogance you know because at the end of the day um like we're boxing there's always going to be somebody out there better yeah. there's always going to be somebody out there to to beat you and to be honest with you i think there's more important things to worry about in life you know and the main thing is as long as you're breathing Right. Still breathing. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, we we did a challenge a few years ago, me and my dad, that we were going to go out and target 100-pound freshwater species. And it was a brilliant opportunity for us once a year to go away somewhere new, have a dad and lad week away, catch some fish, have a few beers, have some nice food. And um, we did it for about five years on the bounce. And there was nothing in that that was for anybody else whatsoever. 
this wasn't a case of come back and look at my photo and aren't I great? It was just me and my dad. And I shared the photos and the you're absolutely right. The, the worst thing about that was he had some bad health when we were supposed to be going away for the sixth time. And as you say, it's about your health. Keep breathing, keep moving. And that's all you've got to worry about. Fish are fish. They'll always be there and you'll always catch fish. And people take it too seriously. And I, over the years, I've had shit from people who just, they're, they're jealous of the fish that I've caught. And it's not like I'm walking around going, aren't I brilliant? I've caught it because, you know, if you look, I mean, look at the, the state of your Instagram, my, my Instagram other side, as you say, there's always somebody who's caught bigger fish. And for some reason, a few people have thought that by sharing fish, that somehow I'm trying to be, you know, Billy Big Bollocks. And that's absolutely not what oh, it's about for me. I've, I've always, 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 you know, people have said to me that I'm lucky. Like, you know, and well, I've always said to me, it's better to be lucky than good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, and I, and I say, I can't have been that lucky. The, the um, you know, when I, when I last fished with my eldest son, because we worked out that my bait was about seven foot away from his, yet he caught the big Xander. So I can't have been that lucky, could I? But it's, um, you know, for, for any of us, you know, there's a lot of time, there's a lot of effort uh, that goes into these. Trips. Yeah, and people and miss that. Not, you know, we, we, we do it, you know, we do it for ourselves or we do it, you know, to be shared with our families. Um, you know, you'll probably notice that, you know, sort of on my Facebook, I don't actually put or very little to do with my family. Mm. Uh, because as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's it's nobody else's business. You know, my family's my family. If there's, if they, you know, if there's a couple of fishing snaps, that we got, then I may well put one or two little fishing snaps up of me and the boys. Um, but it's, as I said, it's a personal thing for me. It's my hobby. It's my sport. It's my release. Um, and I, and like I said, it, it's, it's all about the fun, you know, and if you're not healthy, you're not going to do it. No, no. I mean, there's always some sort of discipline. I mean, I can remember, you know, my my poor old mate Andy Little, you know, who, um, you know, it, it was uh, was you know one of the main Fox guys. Yeah, yeah. And Andy was saying to me that, you know, uh, he always used to do a massive amount of travelling overseas to go, you know, after these these big fish, um, and then because of health issues. He was no longer able to do it, like you yeah. know. And I thought, what a crying shame. But he adapted and overcome, and you know, he's he's still catching loads of fish on um on the rivers. He's catching loads of barbel, loads of chub. So he's had to adapt and overcome. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And, and what people don't see is the work and effort involved with these trips, all the months of planning the effort to get to the airport, get to the other side of the world. And what people don't see are the blanks because there's days when you go out and you think we've got it nailed on here and you, you might do three days out of a six day trip 
and never even see a fish. You're just bouncing up and down on the world's most expensive boat ride. <laughs> and people don't see that. People don't. I've been there a few times on that one, <laughs> and you're thinking, my God, this is costing me a lot of money. <laughs> Hopefully tomorrow we'll catch a fish. I mean, the, the 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 funny thing was was that, you know, we um when we were in the uh in the in the World Championships over in South Africa, you know, we all left uh you know the UK with a great deal of enthusiasm. You know, we were going to catch this marlin, that marlin, and so on and so forth. And uh, you know, I mean, luckily, you know, one of our team managed to secure. Uh, well, we just missed out on gold. Um, but I mean, my God, we 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 literally there wasn't an inch of that ocean that we didn't cover, and we couldn't catch a fish over three days. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and then it, you know something like that does become uh, demoralising, and you think, oh, that's it. I'm going to sell all my fishing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's. You know, for it's like with me, I've got I've got my fishing on the North Devon coast. You know, um, that fishing generally for me, my season sort of starts now um, until about February. Yeah. You know, um, and then all the rest of the time that I'm fishing, you know, I have to travel, um, and there's great distances. You know, and this is what people don't realise. Not only is it great distances, but there's a great deal of expense. And the more that I've travelled both here in the UK and overseas, so I've had to um, try and earn more money uh, to accommodate those trips. And I think now I'm up to three businesses, and <laughs> I think I might have to start a fourth <laughs> just to accommodate my fishing trips. I can't say too much too loudly because the wife's next door. And <laughs> <laughs> so you're um, yeah, you're, so... you're you're sponsored by Shimano, aren't you? So yes. is is that uh, is that a recent thing or has that been for a few years? No, that's that's been for a few years. I just say I've done. Uh, very privileged uh, to be sponsored by uh, Shimano as well as uh, several other uh, companies. And, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, to be sponsored by somebody like Shimano is probably one of the highest accolades you can have in angling. Mm. You know, um, I feel I feel exceptionally privileged that, you know, I was I was chosen to represent, you know, the the uh, the world's finest brand. Yeah. You know? No, I uh, I'd, I'd look with envy at uh, at some of the pictures of the the tackle that you use. So, and and if if you don't want to go into this on on here, that's that's absolutely fine. But if you were going away and you said, "Look, chaps, I could do with a couple of Stellans to take away with me," do they just say, "Yeah, no problem, mate. We'll, we'll package you some up. Just give them a clean when you come back." And <laughs> um, <clears throat> not quite like that. <laughs> um the um the thing within within um angling and being sponsored nowadays has has changed uh over the years um and 
you know, obviously, you know, tackle companies are finding it, uh, finding it, you know, harder and harder and harder. Um, so, you know, I mean, let's let's put it this way: I do okay out of out of the guys. You know, I'm I'm you know eternally thankful for whatever help that they give me. Um, but to give me two or three Stellas would be like giving me two or three Bentleys. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, uh, I, I just have visions. If I treated myself to a reel that was that expensive, you only need to have slightly gunky hands, not quite have hold of the rod and seeing seven, eight hundred pounds worth of reel disappearing into a few hundred feet. It's been heartbreaking. Um, it's happened to me once. Oh, with a Stella. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and it was, it was quite funny because, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I did have a little laugh to myself uh, a few weeks back because uh, I'm not saying who it was, but a friend of mine phoned me up and said, John, I need a reel. I said, well, what happened to the last one I got you? He said, I took my father-in-law on the boat and I lent him the rod and the reel. And he said, uh, my father-in-law turned around to me and said, what happened to the rod and reel? And my mate said, well, I don't know. And his father-in-law said, well, I just lent it on the side on the bottom. And they were tote fishing. Right. Needless to say. He left it on the bottom. The bait was on there. He yep. had a quick cup of coffee, turned yep. around, turned back round, the rod had gone. <laughs> An expensive day. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Let me um let me share another photo. Um because I think this one tells uh a, a thousand stories. You, you've got a very a proud look on your face there. So, how did that come about? Well, that um, that was that was actually uh, in South Africa. Yeah. Uh, you know that uh, that I was uh, talking about uh, a moment ago, and um, we uh, we went out there as a team. Um, there was the A and the B team, and we worked in conjunction with each other, um, as teams do. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we worked to a plan, and ultimately, as a team, we won silver. Um, and it was, it was a shame. It was a shame because we literally just missed out on gold. You know, um, you know, a lot of people said, "But you've won silver, and you've fished against the best in the world, the best of the best." Yeah. And you've won silver, but if you'd have realised how close we were to gold then you would want you would understand why we were um why we were a little bit uh just just marginally upset but yeah you know like like i said fantastic absolutely fantastic amazing and the south africans are oh, what hosts they were um yeah, it was it was it was it was fantastic. It was it was an amazing experience. It was great to share it with the rest of the team. Um, although 
I think it's um, as far as sort of dodgy, uh, dodgy animals, or should I say dodgy snakes, it was probably one of the most dangerous of areas to go to. Right. Whereabouts were <laughs> yeah, you in South uh, Africa? Yeah. Where... A, lot of, a lot of black, a lot of black mambas, a lot of uh, green mambas, a lot of uh, cobras. Um, yeah, yeah. It was, in fact, one of I remember. I seem to remember that one of uh, our door on our accommodation used to stick, and I seem to remember that um, you know uh, one of one of the lads had a bit of trouble trying to get the door open you know, to go into our accommodation after our meal one night. Um, and uh, he was pushing and shoving this door and he gave it one almighty great push and stood back at the same sort of time. And as he really pushed it, because it was stuck, so this snake dropped out of the roof above him. And fortunately... He managed to sweep it very quickly in one movement, you know, really quick reaction and sort of, you know, nudge it down, um, you know, through this uh, through this gap between the planks. Like, you know, we've got no idea what snake it was. Jesus. Um, except for the fact that it was probably dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a grass snake. No. So what what's it like when you pull the England shirt on for the first time? Um... I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of a word that would uh, that, that you know would sort of um, suggest how I feel. Uh, was feeling very humbled. Yeah, is probably probably the word. word you know, to be approached and asked to represent and fish for your country is truly humbling. You know, I mean. Blimey, I, I, I just never expected it. It, it, it came like, like a lightning bolt, you know, out of the sky. Um, I couldn't even, you know, I really couldn't sort of describe in many words. I think, you know, the only word I could sort of use is probably humbling, mm. you know, um, and, and, and proud, you know. It was like... When we when we done the world championships in France, you know, and we were in the ceremony, you know, the 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 the, the in, in introduction ceremony, and we were walking through the streets, um, and all the people were, uh, you know, because this is, it was it was like a ver it's like a version of the Olympics, you know, yeah, and, you know, you've got all of these people hanging out of windows and they're all cheering, you know. And you're waving your flag. You're waving the Union Jack like, you know. Um, and the hairs on the back of your neck, they're all standing up on end. Oh, there's, there's, there's no feeling like it. Like, humbled. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely a word I would, you know. Um, and like I say, you know, with your, with your, with your teammates, you know, you, you almost become like a family. And everybody knows, you know, what, you know, uh, what each other's thinking. Um, and strangely enough, like I say, I've, I've, I've got in my house on the wall, I've, I've got 
a picture of, of uh, my teammates and myself in that particular world championships. I'll tell you, it, it, um, it nearly had me uh, with a with a tear in my eye. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. Absolutely amazing. Once, once we'd done that sort of walking through the streets and we were up on the podium waving the flag, um, you know, and our, our national anthem came on. Yeah, uh, it, it certainly brought a lump to my throat. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, a major privilege. Absolutely. There's, there's, I don't think, on a personal level, I don't think that there's any higher that I could go at all. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, 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 I guess it must be the same as being knighted, I suppose. I don't know, but I, I felt absolutely privileged and absolutely humbled to be able to represent my country. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine how it feels. I, I think if you, if you're a young footballer or tennis star and you turn pro, you've always got a thought in your mind that one day you might be playing for your team and it's always an aspiration. But in angling, we nobody sits at the side of a pond when you're 10 years old fishing for gudgeon thinking one day i'm going to represent my country so for, to be you know a, a normal bloke and then sort of representing your country it's uh, i can't imagine how it must feel it's uh, it's an incredible achievement uh, yeah it, 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 you know it, it as you, as you rightly said you know you don't <clears throat> you know all of those all of those uh days with a with a pair of shorts on and your wellies and you're wading around in the streams you know chasing after minnows and stone loach and sticklebacks you know and then you sort of progress you know to uh to fishing for for roach and tench and stuff and then so on and so forth and you know you sort of on a personal level you elevate up you know through all the dis different disciplines and you know as i said to you I'd done this for myself, you know, for nobody yeah. else, yeah. just me, myself. So when somebody comes up to you and approaches you, you know, and says that they've been watching you, you know, and, you know, that you're the sort of person that, you know, they need to, you know, to, to make a team to um, represent our country. Oh, my God mind-blowing absolutely mind-blowing I, I i i can remember um uh being phoned up by nigel botherway to uh to to do an interview and i'll tell you what you know i've 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 had a lot of experiences within fishing but when nigel asked me all about you know sort of like the latest world championships and that I, I've got to say that I felt on top of the moon. Yeah. I mean, it, I I just couldn't comprehend somebody wanting to talk to me on live radio about the world championships. You know, it was almost like I had to pinch myself to, you know, feel as though it was real. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I'm I'm conscious that. I've taken a lot of your time up, but this there's some things that I've got to ask you about. I, As we've been talking, I've been cycling through some photos, and 
there's just too many photos on your Instagram to even get through in one sitting. I hopefully at some stage you'll be able to do this again and and I, I can ask you, you know, just about all of them. But there's a trip that you did last year and I'm gonna share the photo now. Um so you went out to Papua New Guinea, I believe. Yep. And from an outsider looking in, it seems like a very experienced uh, captain with a very good quality center console boat who shipped it halfway around the world because he just had this feeling that there was some undiscovered fishing territory and reefs and and it, it seemed like you went over and you just absolutely kicked the arse out of it for about three or four days. Just, it looked, so I, I looked, I looked at how difficult it was to get to Papua New Guinea and I, I sat down and I tried to plan the route. And it's to get to the place where the guy was, it seemed like it was about two days worth of traveling, stupid amounts of changes. And it felt like a real adventure to even get to where he was. But well, tell me, how was it? Because it looked amazing. Well, for me, you know, the logistics of it <clears throat> was, um, you know, uh, you uh, you looked to the travel and you thought to myself, oh my god, you know, that's that's a that's a that's a massive amount of miles. Yeah. But in reality, I have to say, it was just like getting on a bus. Okay. You know, it was just it was it's just like getting on a bus. Or getting on a train, you know, um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, you you're right. You know, there's there's probably a better day's travel there, but it's as hard or as easy as you want to make it. You know, you can either do it in several stops, or you can do it, you know, sort of virtually all in one go. Now, the first time I went over, I've done it in several uh, stops. Yeah, and uh, the um, you know. It, it's not difficult. It really isn't difficult, you know. I mean, I took my wife over there last year, and you know, we we uh, we took off from the UK. Six hours later, we were in Dubai. Uh, we had a short stay in Dubai. Six and a half hours after that, we were in Singapore, and we stayed in Singapore for a couple of days in a really nice hotel just to rejuvenate and everything else. Um, and once you're in Singapore. Six and a half hours over to Papua New Guinea, <laughs> so you know it's 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 pretty easy. But one thing I'll I'll say is that <clears throat> right the the uh, the center the center console yeah which is top of the range it's got uh, literally all the high tech electrics electronics on it yeah it was it was put together by a group of three businessmen. Okay. Now the, the the group of three businessmen, they shipped the uh, the centre console out. They shipped it into Australia. Uh, from Australia, it then went on a on a cargo vessel, um, virtually all the way around Australia. Um, before it then went off to Papua New Guinea, um, and then it was impounded. And bearing in mind, there's lots of import and export duties yeah. on this boat. So it wasn't as easy. The logistics of it was not easy at all. Once it was in uh, Port Moresby, 
they had a problem. There's no roads into Milne Bay <clears throat> where the boat is currently. So from memory, I believe it was about a 300 mile sea trip from Papua New, uh, from Port Moresby into Milne Bay. Now, this is absolutely treacherous because the, 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 the amount of inshore and offshore reefs. Right. You, know, you really need somebody who's top of their game. Now, Mike, the skipper, used to be a skipper out in the Andaman Islands. And he's, he's, a, he's a personal friend of mine. And I knew Mike had just given up over in the Andaman Islands and was looking for another project. So we approached, we approached Mike um, and Mike just saw it as a challenge and it's like, this is right up my street, dude. You know what I mean? So he flew out to Papua New Guinea. Uh, he stayed at Port Moresby for a little while. He um, worked on the electronics, um, uh, sorted out, made himself familiar with all the, the navigation systems and, and whatnot. The problem with Papua New Guinea is there's no um, uh, up-to-date like navionics and stuff. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, I mean, even when we've been out there, you know, he's going, hang on a minute, that reef's not supposed to be there, like, you know. Well, he had 300 miles of this, and I have to say, he done it exceptionally well. He done it in a day and a half, um, just before the weather changed. Right. You know? Anyhow, so that's sort of the story of that. It's now currently in Milne Bay. That's where you know the company works out of. With regards to the fishing, um, well, the fishing, I have to say, we were beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> The fishing out there is obscene. Our first trip over there, uh, we potentially broke three world records. Now, I had two of those world records, but I didn't claim them because they were literally just a couple of ounces over the existing world records. Yeah. Mike, however, um, had a had a rusty jobfish that was something like about 2.4 kilos over the existing world record and he claimed this and that's the current all-time uh all tackle world record right this moment in time the fishing is untapped it's amazing it is to anybody who's you know has got a bit of um get up and go wants a bit of adventure Oh my God, it is incredible. There's everything from shallow water reefs to massive upwellings to underwater sea mountains. It's phenomenal. Now I've done it not once, but I've done it twice. And we're planning on when the restrictions are lifted, we're planning on going out there again. I mean, man, the, 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 uh, the, the, the local housekeeper and the, the, the staff on one of the private islands that we stay on, they were catching king mackerel from the shore, giant bees <laughs> from the shore, even sailfish. Jesus. On the hand lines. From no. The shore, you know, um, the place is obscene. Absolutely obscene. It's, 
it's 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 pioneering you know i mean there's just nobody else that fishes out there you'll you'll get the locals they'll probably fish about a mile offshore at the best yeah because they're in little dugout canoes they don't go out any further so anything beyond that is uh is pioneering and oh man some of the things on these reefs they are they're like massive they're, they're unstoppable they're just massive things you know and you know i i was lucky on one on one particular day that um because i wouldn't have been able to have done this or else but we had a really rough day so we couldn't go out in the in the boat right. and and the uh, the contact that the guys have got over there he said well why don't you go up one of the rivers so i had the chance to go up one of the jungle rivers chasing the Papua New Guinea black bass. Wow. You know, this is like an iconic species. You know, this is stuff that I've read about. You know, this is like the pit bull of the river. And I mean, like I say, it's raw, it's primitive. You know, these 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 people still, you know, um you know, they're not, not like cavemen or anything like that, but they're still very primitive in their ways, like, you know. Um, and, you know, even to sort of ask him permission to, you know, sort of enter in certain bits of the river, you know, it, it, it's an amazing place, which I hope to do, you know, quite a few more trips before uh, before I eventually sort of uh, lay down my travelling rods, <laughs> like, you know, there. The size of the GTs are immense, absolutely immense. You know, everything. There's so many fish and the size of the fish is, is unprecedented. You know, and some of the reefs, you know, you can just look down and they're purples and they're yellows and the colours are so vivid. And, you know, it's just untapped. You know, it is a beautiful, beautiful area. Amazing. You know, I wouldn't travel halfway around, well, not even halfway, all the way around the world, you know, if it wasn't worthwhile. It's an astonishing place. Absolutely astonishing. Do you know what? There's 820 different languages. Okay. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. You know, um, and it's just one hell of an adventure. It, it's it's gone up on my to-do list when when you came back and i saw the photos from the last trip i was like I, i've got to get over there but it just it seemed same as you say just so far away just so distant you know and you've got family and work and all these competing um things going off but that's that's just put it sock bang in the middle of my priority I mean, list i mean uh you know you you make you make things easy for yourself if there's one thing I've learned uh, about going to the likes of America, the Americans like to make things easy for themselves. Yeah. So, you know, for some unknown reason, we seem to like to make things difficult for ourselves. Why make it difficult? Travel to Dubai, six and a half hours. Travel to Singapore, another six and a half hours. Stay at a really nice hotel or whatever your budget allows. Mm. You know? Just break it up a little bit. Have it as a holiday, not just a fishing trip. Relax, kick back, just make things easy. You know, it's yeah. it's it, 
it's as easy as you want to make it. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I've known I've known Spain more difficult to get into. <laughs> yeah, especially at the minute. Uh, it can be nice when everything's lifted. Um, let, let me ask you one last question. Um, what's left for you? What's What's the one place on your bucket list where you've got to go and do, you've got to get out of your system. Uh, that's a, that's a difficult one, really. <clears throat> that's a difficult one because I mean, you know, years ago I would have said to you, um, the, the three main places I wanted to go to were Africa, Australia, and America. Uh, and I've done those. Um, <clears throat> I spent 15 years going up and down through the Caribbean um uh not only as a fisherman but partially as a bit of a surf bum as well <laughs> um so wherever the surfboard went the fishing rods went um i'm, I'm just trying to i'm just trying to think um i suppose realistically i would probably like to do the amazon yeah. Before everything's completely wiped out from the Amazon, I'd like to do the, the Amazon. Um, I love what I do, but it's a little bit like um, when you've had your best personal best or the biggest personal best. Yeah. It gets harder and harder and harder to break that personal best. Um, so I think for me, realistically, the last place for me to sort of go and uh, go and do would probably be the Amazon, I suspect. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's a there's a few a few other areas that I'd love to be able to fish. Um, you know, I mean, like I've been to Australia, but I I never went up to the top end like Darwin and Cairns, and I'd I'd like at some stage to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, I'd love one place that I would love to fish in Australia would probably be Lizard Island. But unfortunately, that's a little bit out of my budget. <laughs> I will at some stage introduce you to a mate of mine. And he went once and he was going to treat himself. It was a trip of a lifetime. He saved for it and it got under his skin. And he went back the next year and he went back the next year. And I, I, I don't know how he forwarded it, but he just worked hard. He put the hours in, he put the graft in, he got his money together and, and he went and he did it. In fact, a couple of the trips, I know he worked as a deckhand just to be able to afford to fish while he was out there, but he got obs obsessed by it. Marlin just blew his mind. Oh, the, 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 and, the, and the, you know, the, the marlin out there are, are, are absolutely massive. Mm -hmm. uh, they're huge. I mean, I, I know a couple of people, including uh, including Nick Stanzik, who I was talking about earlier on, you know, that have fished out there. And the, the, the black marlin fishery out there is absolutely insane. So, yeah, I can imagine it would get under, you know, people's skin. And, and the thing is, this is what happens. You know, you uh, you go on, a, on one of these fishing trips, uh, you budget for one of these fishing trips, and then um, you either get obsessed or you don't catch what you want to catch, 
and invariably you end up going again. Yeah, absolutely. Cost you twice as much. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I've, I've, you know, I have been quite lucky. I've, I've been quite lucky that, you know, I've managed to catch a few of the species that I wanted to catch. Um, some accidentally, some on purpose. I, I, I still think that the one night um, that we were we were fishing and this uh this uh lawyer and his wife came down the dock and started talking to us um and they suddenly produced this uh this bottle of rum and coke the cardian coke like you know and uh they, they started talking to us and i was fishing off of this dock and uh to say we'd had quite a few Bacardis and Cokes was an understatement. And and I was picking off one or two fish. And the next thing the, the, the rod folded over in my hands. And I and I uh, I hooked into a rather large shark. <laughs> uh, you know, three sheets to the wind. You know, I'm fighting a shark. And it uh, it turned out that it was a lemon shark of around about 200 pounds. Nice. You know? Now I now I said to him. I said, look, you know, I can't, I cannot drink, you know, I know this is a holiday, you know, I know I'm on a, on a warm dock in the Florida Keys, but I cannot drink any more Coke and uh, Bacardi and Coke, you know, because if I catch something really big, then I'm not going to be able to do anything with it. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd barely, I'd barely said no to another Bacardi and Coke when the rod folded in my hands again. And this fight was a little bit different. And this fight was really, really peculiar. And oh, oh, I couldn't believe it. I pulled up, uh, pulled up the leader. And as I pulled up the leader, this bill suddenly poked up out the water and blowing me down. I couldn't believe it. I had a sore fish. Wow on the line and to try and deal with this sawfish safely you know um and also uh to try and unhook it and untangle the line from its rostrum yeah not to, you know not to um cause it any damage but also legally i had to be able to keep it in the water because it, otherwise it wasn't legal I could have been fined by the uh, by the the the, the American um, you know law system legal system. Mm. So trying to do this, you know, with a couple of Picardies and cokes on your belt, like you know, um, and I say I, I I do think that you know that that night, you know, not only was I exceptionally lucky to land one of the rarest fish in the world. Yeah. I was a, absolutely incredibly lucky not to get impaled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It wow. brought a whole new meaning to um, piercings. Yeah, not off. Yeah, I mean, that's just incredibly lucky. Um, to even see one is amazing. You, you'll see a lot of captains who've worked around that area for years and years, and they, they don't see one from one season to the next. So as a private angler, just going out and fishing on your own, that's insanely lucky. 
Oh, I did, absolutely. I mean, we've had, we've had, we've had a few on the boat. Me and the kids have had a few on the boat when we've been fishing for tarp, and you know, but to actually land, uh, land one off of the the shore, you know, I mean, if people knew how rare they were. You know, it is absolutely incredibly lucky. Um, you know, I know there's a, <clears throat> a couple of um, uh, television angling celebrities that have been off and they've caught sawfish by design in, um, in sort of the appropriate area. Right? Yeah. You know? um, I think there's a, there's a river in Australia that um, has a migration of sawfish going up through. And I and I think one of the um, one of the leading angling TV celebrities um, actually went over there uh, to work with scientists, and he was actually able to catch one from the shore over there. But to to catch one, you know, sort of, you know, uh, just purely off off the cuff, I would say, you know, I was very very lucky because I was fishing in open ocean. Uh, you know from the shore opposed to a river yeah that is amazing um mate i i could just sit and do this all night i i'm conscious we've been talking for well over two hours now and that's gone by in in five minutes and there's as i say there's so much of your fishing that i'd i'd like to ask you about but i just there's lifetimes worth of fishing there and they're (laughs) and they're all absolutely enormous so genuinely thank you for your time it's you're more than welcome it's been a pleasure i've really enjoyed listening to every single story and at some point when you have got some time it'd be brilliant to to have you back on because we've scratched the surface same as i say i'm looking at your instagram photos on my other screen now and there there's marlin there's swordfish there's big sander there's blue sharks there's doggy tunas just a ridiculous amount of fish so seriously anybody who's listening or anybody's watching go and follow john on instagram you will make yourself you'll make yourself sick for a bit but it's it's inspirational stuff it really is that one man can go out and and do so well so again thank you john really appreciate your time thanks for coming on mate any time and uh, like i said if you want to do this again in the future it would be my pleasure to do it like you know i thoroughly enjoyed it this evening and uh, it's it's great to be able to speak to a like-minded person perfect i appreciate that cheers mate see you soon no problem bye-bye see you mate bye